Hey, Nerd Herders, you're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. In this episode, Aaron and I recap and analyze the seventh episode of Chuck, Chuck versus the Alma Mater. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at GoChuckPodcast and email us at GoChuckYourselfPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, you don't need a supercomputer in your head to like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You just need one in your hand, so don't forget to like and subscribe. As a reminder, Aaron and I do record this show over video chat, so please excuse any hiccups or bleep bloops that you hear. As a result of that, we are working to improve the sound quality and appreciate your understanding. And now, without further ado, here we go. Chuck yourself. Welcome. We have a, a truly electrifying episode for you tonight. We are we are bouncing off the walls with enthusiasm in this particular episode. My name is Chris Gillespie. I'm Aaron Arata, and I am definitely bouncing right now. Just bouncing right now. We are amped up. We are so excited to be here. Sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. Maybe I am a little bit. We'll find <laughs> out, but that's okay. It's the seventh episode of Chuck, season one, seventh episode of our podcast, and we're going to find out, you know, is this seventh heaven or is this seventh hell? Ooh, good question, Chris. Good question. Here's another good question. Have you ever seen the show Seventh Heaven? Yeah, absolutely. Have you? No, I have not. What is that show about? Um, there's a, I guess... Oh, hold on. One second. I think I know what it's about. It's about... A man who has seven okay. children. I mean, yes, that is that is correct. And he, he always looks like he's he's about to cry because his eyes are always so watery. Well, he's a um, he's a he's a preacher, so he has he has seven kids, and I don't think they have a mom. I think he's a single dad. So it's like it's heaven because it's like like he's he's very close to God. So there is a religious motif to it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a religious show, and he's. Always, almost gonna cry because he's a widower. I think so. Yeah. And Jessica Biel's in it. Jessica Biel is in it. I think she's the oldest daughter. Yeah. So I was always very confused because I grew up Catholic and I thought he was a priest. And I was like, "How did this happen? Why is no one talking about this?" But apparently, I just did not know other religions existed. So. So you're a big fan of Seventh Heaven. Yeah, yeah. I would. I uh, I watched a couple episodes of Seventh Heaven in my day. Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing it up. I haven't thought about it in a long time. You're welcome. I'm sure now that we've scared away a couple of listeners, I'm sure uh, this is go chuck yourself. It's not go seventh heaven yourself. Or uh, this show, we talk exclusively about the TV show Chuck. Talk about watching the episodes now, ten years later after it was on air. Our thoughts, our feelings, how it pertains to to the world now. These are things that you already know. Maybe it's your first time listening. And if that's the case, welcome. I am in New York City and Aaron is in Los Angeles. It's sunny here, but it, uh, it almost rained today. It thought about raining. It didn't, but almost. And LA, of course, is home to uh, a very special man. And I think we should say his name on the count of three. All right. So it'll be like one, two, three. Oh, and then after three, we say his name in unison. Ready? One, 
two, three, OJ Simpson. <laughs> you didn't even indulge me in that joke? I w- well, I was going to see what happened. You, you were going <laughs> to, you're supposed to say Chuck. Were you going to say Chuck? Yeah, I was going to say Chuck. Yeah. Sorry. There goes my joke. It's fine. It's fine. It's uh, here in New York. Uh, it's actually right now as we're we're recording. It's this will not be going on when this is released, but it's a Comic Con week here in New York City. How's that going for you, Chris? Um, it's going well. I walk by it every day on my way to work. They have advertisements for Comic Con related things in the subway now. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is a advertisement for the new Doctor Who. Yep, um, it's a woman now. Women can be doctors. Did you know that? I did know that. Yeah. Um, primarily because I almost tripped down the stairs as I was looking at an ad for her because she's beautiful. She is. It's Jodie Whittaker. I, she's lovely. She is. She's, yeah, she's very lovely. You wish she was your doctor? Or would that be awkward for you? Yeah, no, I, I do not wish she was my doctor. Okay. Yeah, no, I'd rather kind of keep that separate. But that's, <laughs> that's Comic-Con week here in New York. And I, it just got me thinking because I know last week, we had touched upon this a little bit, but you have actually been to Comic-Con. I have. So Comic-Con is pretty much like a big mall full of nerds. It's kind of like just like Hot Topic and Newbury Comics and then like no other stores, but like 10 times the size. And everybody is dressed up in fun things. Um, so I'm sure you've encountered like a Spider-Man or a Deadpool or several on the train with you. Um, and there are a lot. The year I went was last year and there was a ton of Rick and Morty's specifically Rick's there was a pickle Rick as well but there was some kind of fan meetup where it was like everybody had to dress up as Rick and Morty so there was just a huge like airplane hangar like size room that was just full of like Rick's and it was my nightmare it was the worst thing I've ever seen that's kind of amazing because do they do like a whole citadel thing and like multiverse because in Rick and Morty there are a lot of Ricks and Morty's, so this would make sense. I guess that's fair. I did not go within 10, 10 feet of it, so I can't tell you exactly what went on, but they did convene. So from my understanding, the kids do this thing called cosplaying, which I believe is short for costume playing. And yes. Have you costume played at Comic-Con? I did. Uh, I did twice. I think it would be really cool, especially uh, 11 years after the fact, to cosplay as Chuck characters. I think that's how you could definitely weed out the cool people. You, of course, would not be one of them if you were cosplaying as Chuck 11 years after the fact. <laughs> Sorry to just burn ourselves. <laughs> me specifically? I would. You encourage me to go cosplay as Chuck, and then you say that I would not be accepted as a cool person? If I did that? Yes. It's an oxymoron. I cosplayed as a character from the comic Saga, and then I I cosplayed as a character. um, She's from a book called Journey into Mystery, and also in Young Avengers, and her name is Leah. And she is uh, kind of, she's kind of like Loki's childhood friend. So, like, I would like to be childhood friends with Loki, who, like, then we grow up and we fall in love. So, I was kind of enacting that. It must have been really difficult for you to be walking around Comic-Con and having everyone come up to you, because you obviously were such well-known characters that everyone's like, oh my god, I love your... Okay. Three people came up and took my picture, and the artist who drew the character that I was cosplaying as also took my picture. So... You're wrong. 
Everyone knew. <laughs> that was much cooler than anyone cosplaying as Chuck. Also, a girl dressed as Loki, came, like from the same comic, came and asked to take a picture with me. And she referred to me as my character's name, so she was like yelling Leah after me. And I was like, like what's... And then I realized she was talking to me, and it was good. All right, so that proves me wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking, had I been on top of it, had I known that Comic-Con was happening, I could have... I really should be there. I should be, I should be promoting this particular program dressed as Chuck and handing out business cards or, or CDs or something just to drum up business. But I did not, not think to do that, but maybe, uh, maybe somewhere down the line I can get a, uh, a Chuck costume. My hair doesn't really do the Chuck thing though. I feel like the hair is the biggest part of it. You can make it work. Just get like a curling iron. Yeah. Yeah. You just gotta get a little coif. I wonder, would I have to do like a, a Chuck voice if I'm costume playing? I mean, that's, I don't think people typically do voices, but if you can do that. I don't know, should I try? Yeah. All right. Okay. So, all right. Just setting the stage. This is Chuck and he is working in the Buy More uh, at the desk. Okay. All right. Close your eyes. Okay. And Morgan. And scene. <laughs> that was beautiful. I thought I thought Zach Levi was right here in the room with me. Yeah, it felt pretty good as I was saying it. I think I I think I'm onto something. All right. Well, we'll see you next year at Comic Con. Perfect. Sounds good. I'll be the guy dressed like Chuck. No <laughs> wants to talk to you because I'm not cool. <laughs> and on that note, I think uh, we should probably start heading towards the uh the analysis review part of the show where we're going to be talking about episode seven i haven't even said the show title yet it's chuck versus the alma mater specifically his alma mater we're going to talk about it in just a moment here on go chuck yourself stay right there we'll be right back after this quick little musical number Just like I said, here we are. We're back on Go Check Yourself after the briefest of musical interludes. It's really a palate cleanser. Yeah, that's what it is. Does your palate feel cleansed? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Great. So in this particular episode, uh, it actually starts off with a, uh, a recap. Oh, I was okay. I was going to ask you about that. I wasn't sure if it was just like Amazon and I just hadn't seen the other ones because I was watching them like all in a row or something. But no, this one just starts with a recap. This just starts on a recap. I can confirm I was, was watching my DVD as I do. And it was really a, uh, a return to form for me because I was once again watching my DVD in my beloved VLC media player <laughs> on my laptop. Uh, it was really, you know, I'm finally finally dancing with the girl that brought me to prom. So it was very nice to have that experience. Oh, I'm very happy for you. And uh, so the recap, basically, we can also recap. Maybe you need a recap. Uh, yeah, probably. We have enough information now. We're seven episodes in, so we have enough information to need a recap. Right. We're, there's a lot, of, a lot of balls in the air. We're juggling all this stuff. Chuck uh, was a... Okay, how, how fast do you think I can do this? How quick can I make this recap? I'm going to time you. You're going to time me? 
Yeah, do you want me to time you? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Uh, Go. Chuck is this average guy who lives in Burbank, California. He works at a boring retail job. He's very unsatisfied. All of a sudden, he receives an unexpected email from his old college roommate slash rival Bryce. Bryce, in the email, is sending him a version of an old game that they designed together. And when Chuck completes the game, a computerized uh, a computer image program called The Intersect is downloaded into Chuck's subconscious, thus making him have a supercomputer inside his head. Because of the supercomputer, the United States government gets interested in Chuck, CIA, uh, NSA, and they work together to protect, protect Chuck. Uh, Sarah and Casey are his handlers, and they're trying to protect, protect Chuck and get the intersect either out of Chuck or figure out a way to uh, return Chuck's life to normal, all the while going off on zany, zany adventures with villains who, who wish to threaten our national security. Are you done? Uh, and he has a best friend, Morgan, and he lives with his sister and uh, her boyfriend. Okay, so unfortunately, we do not have an intersect that we can use to download all that information to your brain. Um, but Chris, at a humble one minute and three seconds, you did pretty well. That's not terrible. I... Yeah, that's not, that's not the worst. It's longer than the recap they gave us, but it's, it was pretty uh, comprehensive. So good job. Okay, cool. I will accept it. Um, but we know a little Chuck shorthand for you is when they do a recap, that means that things are getting serious. They're done screwing around. This isn't going to be a one-off episode. This is tying into the larger arc of the season. So that's why they have the recap. So those past episodes, who knew? Not important. Not important. Doesn't matter. This episode is what it is all about, people. So we are heading back to our alma mater, or as you said, Chuck's alma mater, because we did not go to Stanford. <laughs> no, we did not. But someone who is at Stanford is Professor Fleming, who the episode opens with after our lovely, lovely recap. He's uh, a Stanford professor, and he's in a lecture hall giving a lecture about the subconscious to a bunch of kids, um, or like college students. He's talking about a bunch of images that are on the screen behind him, and they look kind of just like the intersect images that Chuck saw. So what's going on there? Um, we also wonder what's going on when a muscular bald guy walks in and the professor suddenly ends his lecture and runs into his office. Um, he escapes out of a trap door, and the bald dude is kind of upset about this. So we start the episode with a recap of what Chuck is about. Basically, Chuck is about the intersect. So yes. then immediately following the recap, we then go to a college lecture where we once again learn what the intersect is. Yes. As if a second ago, we did not just get our, a description of the intersect. TV was wild in 2007. I guess so. I, it, this class did not seem like a real class to me because he was talking about how the science of the intersect, which as far as I'm aware is not actual science. <laughs> And they were trying to pass it off as science. And they did a very, uh, in my opinion, not great job. I was like, yeah, really? We need a, another explanation of the intersect? Who knows? We need to know. Not all of us have intersects. So we need to be 100% clear on what's going on. I would not draw attention to when you like think about it a lot. The intersect does not make a ton of sense, I don't think. It's just one of those devices where it's like, yeah, it's science. You don't understand it. So you accept it as real. But then when there's a college lecture about it, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Chris hates the intersect, um, but 
Moving on. I don't hate the intersect. I just hate this professor. Go on. So we end up at the buy more. Um, Morgan and Chuck are having a conversation at the nerd herd desk, which sounds just like your impression from our first act. So that's great. Um, Morgan says something about there being spies in the buy more and Chuck kind of freaks out and thinks that his cover has been blown. But uh, Morgan is referring to Harry spies pretty obviously. So Chuck, stop being jumpy, whatever. Morgan is not smart enough to know that there are actual spies. Um, Harry made a list of rules for the buy more, which includes no fornicating, which is is nice. I mean, that's that would be an awkward situation to walk in on your coworkers like in the break room. So I'm I'm behind Harry on this one. And this implies that there was fornicating going on in the buy more. <laughs> it does. So good, good for them. Like great, but um, I'm happy that Harry put a put a stop to it. Yeah, it's more hygienic without the fornicating fornication absolutely agree i was gonna ask you harry has a yellow monogrammed shirt um with his like that since he has become the assistant manager he now wears this yellow kind of buy more shirt with his name on it um do you do you feel a little bit sad that you don't own that one to complete the set no i am not sad I do not want the assistant manager buy more shirt. Although it was interesting with like the, the little shoulder straps or whatever you call them. Yeah, it was very bright. It reminded me of my high school graduation because we had to wear yellow robes. So uh, that's what Harry's wearing. Chuck is at the buy more. He goes into the home video room to have a meeting with Beckman. And he sees her on like this video screen, kind of like Chris and I are Skyping now. Um, they're, they're Skyping in. And he makes a ridiculous comment about how he can see every wrinkle on her face. And I said, how dare you? I had to pause my episode because I was so upset because she is a goddess of truth and beauty. And Chuck just needs to shut his mouth. She, she does not need to hear that. I was just taken by how um, the, the immediacy of his remark. Why did he think that, um, why did he think Sarah and Casey would like appreciate hearing that about their boss? Like that's pretty, it's a pretty bold play. It's a, I mean, he's, I guess this episode is about Chuck, like, gaining a little bit of confidence. Like, he's, he's uh, reflecting on a time when he had more confidence. So maybe, you know, he's just, he's going for it. It's like he had it queued up. Like, he was already thinking about yeah. Beckman's wrinkles and then walked into the room and was like, ah, oh, there they are. Yeah, I mean, they're so prominent. You can see every wrinkle. I also am thinking about Beckman, like, at any given time, but uh, not, not in this kind of mean way. Hey. Um, Harry Tang says no fornication. Just not in the buy more. I mean, other places are open. Yeah, that's a good point. So Beckman briefs everyone about the professor whose name is Fleming. I don't know if we've said that already, but his name is Professor Fleming. And he has, uh, he left his post at Stanford and he disappeared. Chuck sees a picture of him and says no way because um, that was his professor. And he finds out that his professor was an asset to the CIA and that he was like recruiting people, I guess. Um, and he's like, what? My college professor was a spy? That's crazy. Apparently, the reason that Fleming escaped and is being hunted down by this bald guy is that he made a copy of some intel um, for himself onto a disc. When we find out what the intel is, I don't really know why he felt the need to do this, but that's, <laughs> that's, okay. um, that's why he's in trouble. Beckman asked Chuck to go to Stanford and try to find Fleming. The rationale for this is because Chuck went to Stanford. Um, he has background knowledge that you can't get out of a, a file. But I would assume that the CIA doesn't always have people with background knowledge of places that they need them to go. So this seems like 
silly. That's fine. Um, Chuck doesn't want to go because he was kicked out of Stanford and he's sad about it and he has bad memories. So he kind of says no. We also find out that Fleming specifically was the one who kicked him out. Yes, it is a very small world. It's a very yep. small college, a very, very small world. And uh, yeah, I, I also was surprised by the CIA insisting that Chuck's personal connection to Stanford was a, an asset in this case. Because I'm like, really? I don't really think it makes a difference. Yeah. But who? what do I know? So my next note, I will read it to you verbatim. It says... Chelsea fucking dagger. Yes, motherfuckers. That's how you know it's party time. So the song Chelsea Dagger by the Fratellis is playing. And indeed, it was party time. <laughs> it's, it's party time, but it's, you know, it's not going to be all fun and games when you're compromising our clean rating on iTunes. This is not explicit content. This is supposed to be for the entire family. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go check yourself, listeners. You would jeopardize that. I had to maintain my integrity of telling you exactly what's written in my notes. If I've told you this once, I've told you this a hundred times. This show is a family-friendly program that is made solely for fans of television programs such as Chuck and Seventh Heaven. We <laughs> are the center of that Venn diagram, and if you do not respect our position in that Venn diagram, we are going to be in a world of hurt. Devin's fraternity brothers are um, at their apartment and they are all going to road trip together to Stanford to see the UCLA game, which is apparently where Devin and Ellie went. So that's good information that we have. Um, Devin bought Chuck a ticket for the game, but Chuck also says no to this uh, attempt to get him to go to Stanford because um, he, he still doesn't want to. But we all, we all kind of know like what's going to happen. So he's, he's going to go. It's just a matter of time. He really does not want to go to Stanford. Yeah. Um, in case that wasn't clear. Also in this scene, Devin throws a ball at him and like it hits him in the crotch. And he refers to his penis as his produce section, which I liked. Yeah, he probably was referring to the actual balls. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Section. That is how that works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about male anatomy after we, uh, we get off the air. But... All right. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that to me. Uh, yeah, no problem. I'm honored. Um, Chuck reminisces about his time at Stanford while the song Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis plays. And every um, review that I read referred to it as him looking back in anger while Don't Look Back in Anger is playing. So um, I don't know. Do you, think, do you think it was a little too on the nose or do you think it was just right? Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't, it didn't strike me as too on the nose, but now that you say it, it is kind of an obvious choice. Like I... When I saw it, I was like, oh, of course the song is playing. This I mean, it's at the time. Yeah. It's a good song. This, um, around this point, I, uh, I realized something, and I, I'm wondering if you realize this well at, at all or what you think about this, um, but why does Ellie wear so much makeup all the time? Have you noticed I, that? I haven't, actually. She but has an insane amount of makeup on, even when they're just, like, hanging out or... In this scene, I just, it struck me as odd because she was so dressed up and I was looking at her face and I was like, she has so, so much makeup on. They never just show her with, without makeup. She's always has the makeup on. In the, the scenes, not particularly in this episode, but other ones where she's like in the apartment after work, theoretically, 
she looks like she's going to a red carpet event. She always has so much makeup and I don't think she needs it. That's a nice thing that you just said, kind of. She is a very beautiful woman. She can do what she wants. Yeah, no, I know they can. Uh, I Yeah, I guess the character can do. I just w- am confused by the like the production choice because I don't even think Sarah wears that much makeup. Sarah wears makeup sometimes, but not not all the time. Right, like in the scenes where Sarah's by herself, she's not always wearing makeup. Yeah. But I have the the feeling that Ellie is always wearing makeup. I don't maybe, know. I'll keep an eye on contrast. Maybe it's like showing the differences between the women in Chuck's life. Maybe, maybe Ellie is just that kind of kind of person. Yeah, she's very put together. She just wants to look her best at all times. I guess so. That was my observation. I just am okay. I'm concerned about Ellie and just want her to tell her that she's beautiful just the way she is. Great. I'm, I'm sure she will appreciate hearing that from you. In the flashback, we see that uh, Chuck reflects on his time at Stanford. Apparently he was in a frat. Did you know this? Because I was very surprised. No, I was caught off guard by this as well. Yeah. I wrote down in my notes, Chuck was in a frat. I, like, I know they have like kind of like, like smart people frats. So like I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that that's what he was in and not like a, a frat frat, but I was still surprised. Um, but he got kicked out of his frat house and also the school. And we see him walking down the stairs with a box of his stuff. And he asks Bryce why, because we see Bryce again. Bryce is playing pool. He's looking very cool. Like, he's got the pool cue. And he kind of looks up at Chuck. And then Chuck says, why are you doing this? And Bryce says, you did this to yourself. So Chuck, uh, in the present, takes the same box that he was carrying full of his stuff. And he's... It's been five years, but he's. this is the time. He's like, I'm throwing this away right now specifically. And he throws it away. He does. He just drops it right in his trash can. We got a nice view of uh, Chuck's apartment building waste receptacle. Yeah. It's pretty small for that whole building. Yeah. And he just, Chuck did not give a, you know, he didn't give a damn about recycling. Where the the best place to put all this stuff is. I mean, he had glass. He had other weird stuff. He really should have tried to... uh, prevent that going in a landfill and you know if only there was a you know like a reoccurring theme of environmentalism in this episode that they could have tied that into but you know if only what do i know um he drops his student id as he's trying to throw away the box and surprise surprise he flashes on it so he shows up outside casey's door and right before the ad break he says why am i in the intersect so that's a little mysterious yep i didn't know he could flash on himself but he did it yeah, he did it. He's uh, he's a skilled man. What, what can I say? Um, Casey and Sarah don't know why he's in the intersect, so they say that they have to find Fleming because Fleming was Chuck's professor, so he might have some idea. They also tell us... So I thought they were referring to the guy who was chasing after Fleming as the Iceman, but apparently it's the Icelander. I think they also said his name is Magnus, but in my notes I'm going to refer to him as the Icelander. He has a crossbow. It's his weapon of choice. Mm. That's all you need to know about him. And that's, that is, in fact, all we find out about him. <laughs> that is the extent of his character. Also, at this point, uh, when Chuck flashes on himself, it just it goes to the opening credits. Like, this whole part has been a cold open. Has it? Yeah. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. I just thought it was an ad break. No, it wasn't. It was the opening credits. That's a long cold open, but that's cool. Yeah, it's, like, almost as long as our opening segments. <laughs> the B-plot of this episode is taking place at the Bymore. Um, everyone is mad because Harry's the manager now, and, or assistant manager, and he's made an employee lunch schedule, and he's no longer allowing them to eat in the lunchroom or something along those lines, which was very interesting to me because at my old company, 
they made, um, they got rid of the lunchroom entirely so that no one can use it at all. So my thought is that um, after Harry leaves the show Chuck, he goes to work at my old job and institutes his policies there. That's a, they got rid of the lunchroom? Yeah, it's gone. They, <laughs> um, they either have to eat in a meeting room or they have to eat at their desks or they have to leave. What did they turn the lunchroom into? Well, they just didn't, they, they moved to a different building without a lunchroom. Oh, okay. Kind of, kind of like this. Anna makes a reference to Harry having an accident as in like getting killed and Morgan agrees to this, but Chuck is, Chuck is a no-go. Um, he has a sense of morality. Morgan takes the lunch schedule and he tries to throw it into the trash. And then Harry shows up and makes a little reference to recycling. Oh. He also in this scene refers to Morgan as soft like pudding. Um, and Morgan's hurt by this because he says he's been doing crunches, which I loved that whole exchange. It was very good. I think we need to bring that into like popular usage. Soft like pudding? Yeah. I mean, pudding is soft. It's a true statement. We could, we could make it work. Someone who's weak-willed? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we can, we can work on that, at least in the confines of our, uh, our audio program here. Okay. Sounds right. good. I'll uh, sure. keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Maybe you'll hear us use it later on. We find out that Fleming has ended up in L.A., Casey tells Chuck they're going to go collect him, and Casey wants Chuck to be there as a friendly face. Chuck has concerns about this, but um, he, he's going to go along with it. While they're on their way, he has another flashback to Fleming telling him that he aced his midterm, but that there were stolen tests found under his bed. Chuck asks who told Fleming about the stolen tests, and Fleming immediately is just like, it was Bryce. Which I... Isn't that like teacher-student confidentiality or something. Yeah, I think it would, I feel like it would have to go through, like, a dean of students or something. Yeah. That, like, they should get, like, mediation. They could, he shouldn't just out Bryce like that. Like, Chuck could go back to their room and beat him up. But during the scene, um, when Chuck flashes back to the present, I, I really appreciated the acting here, because he has a great kind of, like, puppy dog, mournful look on his face, and I really believed it. Yeah, a lot of uh, jumping to the past, jumping to the present. Yep. Going back and forth, really filling in Chuck's life as a student. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right before we get a, any more Fleming, we have another scene at the Bymore where apparently the employees play a game called Fingers of Fury. I don't really know why they're doing this, especially like the day that they got a new boss, because that seems like a bad idea. And also they know that Harry is going to be mad about it. But it's apparently a game where they have to click to new shows and guess whatever the TV is playing. Which made me wonder, does the Buy More just have like a cable subscription? They switch to a lot of different shows. Is that normal? No, I think most television stores like that, they just have like a closed circuit kind of... When I, when I worked at Walmart, they played Wreck-It Ralph on loop for that entire summer. So I had like the ending credits stuck in my head constantly some some good owl city and then there is a song called sugar rush yep i knew it so well we had uh we have frozen on the tv uh, yet that's good worse old. actually yeah i didn't work near it but it was, i just thought it was interesting yeah because you would walk by and be like oh yeah frozen's still playing frozen plays every day here yep 24 7 hour loop frozen is on this television <laughs> but you know what i did what'd you do i let it go <laughs> good that was great um, so back to the Fleming plotline, Chuck and Sarah go to this, like, little suburban Los Angeles house, which is apparently where Fleming has been hiding. Um, Sarah and Casey go into the house, and Chuck stays in the car. 
but he sees in the rear view who's walking by with groceries. It's Fleming. So Chuck does what any good spy would do and gets out of the car and shouts at him and chases him down. But this turns out fine. Um, Fleming remembers him and asks when he became a spy. Chuck doesn't know any of the spy code words, so Fleming Fleming teaches him one, which I really liked, which is, are you coming to the toga party? I have two comments on this. One is very short, and it's just that I went to a toga party two weekends ago, so I was I was going to the toga party that night. How um, was it? It was good. It was a fun. It was a fun toga party. Me and my friend were the only people wearing togas. Everyone else was wearing like Greek inspired outfits. So, you know. Well, good for you. I I appreciate that you committed we to what committed. the theme was. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that I feel like this specific code sentence could really blow your cover pretty fast because if you said that to your professor, like that would be weird. Like if your professor calls you on the phone and says, are you coming to the toga party or vice versa? I think that's going to bring up more questions than, uh, than anything else. Even if you just said, Hey, are you like, you're, you're required right now or like some kind of like vague spy statement. I feel like the toga party is more suspicious. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but then again, it doesn't really seem like anyone questions anything that happens at Stanford based on what we're, we're shown. And he is a professor that has a trap door in his office, which, okay, maybe no one knows about that. But the class that he teaches, did you catch the name of the class he teaches? No, I didn't. What is it? It is psychology and symbolism. <laughs> psychology and symbolism. This sounds like a course that Robert Langdon would teach. <laughs> it does. That's like the level of bullshit class that this class is, is that they're using symbolism. Yep. This is a professor of symbolism. I really wish Robert Langdon showed up in this episode. I wish he was Chuck's <laughs> professor. That would make a lot of sense. I wish. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish Robert Langdon was in this episode as well, because at least I'd be entertained by something in this episode. Oh, no! What? Oh, what, what did I say? No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I also am not entertained by Robert Langton. <laughs> so, um, moving on from Robert Langton. I have, I have so many Robert Langton feelings, but we do not need to get into them here. We can start a second podcast. Go, um, <laughs> go Langton yourself. I'm sure there's a better name. Um, all right, keep talking, keep talking. I'm going to keep working on it. <laughs> Think about it. Chuck asks Fleming why the CIA has a file on him. Fleming responds with, I'm sorry, and then gives Chuck a hug. But actually, it's not a hug. He's just been shot. Um, he pulls a note with numbers on it out of his pocket and says, give this to Bryce Larkin. But Chuck is pinned under his body, so he can't get to it before the Icelander shows up and takes it. He's, of course, shot with a crossbow yes. arrow. Yes, I should have Did said. Did you see this coming? Did I? Um, yes, actually, because we kept showing uh, Fleming's back. So I was like, something is, something is going to happen for sure. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I also saw it coming. I was like, oh, it would be it would be really funny if he got shot by an arrow right now while they're having this exchange. And there was something about the way they shot it. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like it was imminent. No, you can always tell. And also like he was it wasn't like he was gonna answer the question. Something had to get in the way or else the episode would have been over. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. So we go back. Um, after this extremely traumatizing experience, Fleming is in the hospital and Chuck is back at his home. Ellie asks Chuck to come to Stanford with her because she doesn't want to be stuck in the car alone with Devin and his frat buddies, which I think um, Chuck should absolutely go. Like framed like this, yes, he should go. Um, she is, she is uh, not as... Um, she 
is wearing so much makeup yeah. to just pack a suitcase. Well, maybe in in this specific instance, she's um, color coordinating. Like she's uh, putting on her like UCLA eye makeup. That's a thing. All right. You got to give her this one. Um, she is being pretty kind and she wants Chuck to go back to Stanford so he can get closure. He still says no. Um, and then I have to point out now the most ridiculous thing in this episode is that um, Chuck asks what something in Ellie's suitcase is and then he picks it up and it's a foam finger. Like it says, we're number one. It's, it's something that I have seen in my life. And he asks, what is this? And Ellie responds, I don't know. Why don't they know what that is? They exist. This, I think it's a special kind of foam finger. What was wrong with it? Um, um, they, there was something to it. Okay. They, it was a foam finger blank. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I think there was a weird joke to it. Okay. All right. Well, I did not, I did not pick up on that. And I just thought they were being exceptionally dumb people. The Bartowski family has just never seen a foam finger before. There's some kind of gas leak in their apartment that's slowly <laughs> killing their brain cells. Yep. Um, one of the things that Chuck has is a very old library book from his time at Stanford. And he tells Ellie that he wants to keep it. Like he makes a joke about wanting to finish it. Um, he also says that Stanford can't really do anything to him about not returning it because um, they've already expelled him. But actually, as someone who has worked in a library, I have a little fun fact. Um, typically, when people have a huge amount of fines, those fines get sent to a collection agency. So actually, they, they, like Chuck getting expelled has nothing to do with that. They could still come after him. little tidbit about uh, library, library policy yep. here. I, have you ever stolen a book? I think I know the answer to this. Have but. I stolen a book? Yeah, for, like, or just from not a returned a book specifically. From a library, from like high school on loan in English class or whatever. Um, I have a copy from my high school English class of The Catcher in the Rye, but I think that was given to me. I think it was just like taken out of the rotation. Um, I have gotten like ridiculous amounts of fines before because growing up, my mom was a librarian and she never fined me. And then when I started going to college and I was taking the like an actual library, um, I didn't realize that fines were a thing that were actually enforced. So my first year of college, I got a ton of fines, but I've never stolen one. You got a ton of fines from the library that freshman year of college because you thought that all librarians were your mom. Yes, that's that's pretty much sums it up. All right, it looks like I should probably uh, get certified to teach a psychology and symbolism course. <laughs> so the next scene we see is another flashback. Chuck and Bryce are doing, apparently, according to Wikipedia, it's a game of Assassin. Have you ever played Assassin? No, I've not, but they're basically running through the library with no one else in it, carrying very realistic-looking Nerf guns. Yeah, but or- these ones have the orange tip. So you can tell. Yeah, but they're still handguns. Anything that looks that much like a handgun should not be just like, you shouldn't walk around a library with it. Well, this was 2003. The environment was a little different. A little different, but not really. (laughs) That's true. They were just, I was like, what? They're just running around. No one has an issue with the fact that they're, you would get suspended if not expelled for doing this. Something I thought was that like for two kind of like, I don't know, like, they're portrayed as, like, smart, maybe a little bit nerdy, and, like, Bryce, I could see, like, Bryce might be kind of a spy at this point already, but, like, Chuck is not, but they're really moving, like, they're, like, jumping over tables, they're, like, shooting each other, like, 
they're they're pretty physically fit. Like they're doing a good job. I could see why Chuck was um, on the short list for the, the CIA. That's a nice compliment. You know who else was on the short list of the CIA? <laughs> who? My father. What? My dad, when he was like approximately like around our age, um, did like an interview with the CIA and like had to do a test to see he was like he applied to be some kind of um like a map analysis like looking at satellite images and identifying things in these satellite images of of foreign terrains how did i never know this i totally forgot about it until i was watching this episode that is amazing so he i mean i guess i guess you can't tell me if he made it in but well, that's what i was thinking i don't think he always says that he did not get the job but it, maybe he has this whole time I would not be that surprised. Yeah, no, me neither. Something to think about. Yeah. My dad was not, his photo analysis skills were not up to par for the CIA. Yep, he, he should have gotten an intersect. Should have taken a psychology and symbolism course. So the, the scene with Bryce and Chuck is pretty cute. Um, I don't really understand exactly what happened because Bryce like puts down his gun and then uh, Chuck doesn't shoot him and then Bryce shoots Chuck. So it was kind of playing into the betrayal motif, I guess. But the main point of that flashback is we see that Bryce had some kind of um, like secret space in the library, like on one of the shelves where he would like pick up certain books. And we learn that it was a drop off zone and that the code um, or the series of numbers on the piece of paper that Fleming left behind was actually um, a reference to this section of the library, which is very well and good. But... Um, according to Wikipedia, the numbers do not correspond to any Dewey Decimal System or Library of Congress system. So actually, Chuck is just kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of a non-swearing way to say this. They are pull pulling the rug over our eyes. Pulling the wool over our eyes. What was the swearing version of that going to be? I was going to say bullshitting. Oh, okay. Yep. They couldn't be bothered to make a, a real Dewey Decimal System code? Or do you think they wouldn't be allowed to? Do you think that's copyrighted? John Dewey would sue them. Something my mom always tells us that she learned in library school is that the inventor of the Dewey Decimal System, John Dewey, um, was a womanizer. So she always sings the Britney Spears song, Womanizer, when referring to the Dewey Decimal System. Chuck says, I have to go to Stanford, and it's like a big dramatic moment. And then Casey says, cool. Another good thing that Casey says is um, when they get to Stanford, there's kind of a big tailgating party. And also during this tailgating party, there seems to be like an org fair thing going on where all the <laughs> organizations of the college are handing out flyers. Um, one of the guys asks Casey to like plant a tree. He's some kind of environmental guy. And Casey says, take a shower, hippie. In front of a very large banner that says uh, the Nature Conservatory. Yes remains in the, the background of the shot for quite a while. Hmm. What are what might be the reason for that? Um, Chuck calls Casey out for dressing all in black, and he says, who are you rooting for, death? After he makes that little comment, Chuck is having a lot of feelings about being back at Stanford. Um, he says that getting expelled was the worst day of his life, and Sarah, in response, continues to remind me of one of my old therapists by asking pretty bluntly, why do you think Bryce betrayed you? And uh, Chuck... Also, kind of heartlessly, in response to Sarah, says, Bryce has betrayed a lot of people, hasn't he? Sarah tells Chuck maybe he should stay outside instead of coming into the library with him, and Chuck makes the comment, yeah, because that always works out so well. I don't know, I seem to remember Chuck always having to stay in the car for a long time, 
but I guess he's he's getting tired of that pretty early, so I like that they pointed it out. When Chuck taps into the library with his ID, the man behind the desk says, we have a situation, and so something is going on, but we have some cool repetitive dialogue of we have a situation because we switch to the Buy More employees, and they want to steal the master remote from Harry so they can control the TVs again. Anna says that she can get the remote by seducing Harry, so she saunters over to him kind of provocatively. Um, he calls her young lady, which made me want to die. She acts kind of sexy, and she tells him, like, power has changed you, and she can't wait for his next massive invasive rules. Meanwhile, she kind of reaches around him with a pair of pliers, which kind of reminded me of the Easy Cut 3000 that they gave me at Walmart but these are actual pliers. She cuts off Harry's keys from his belt loop, and then Lester reaches around behind him and takes them and runs away. thought that was a pretty good spy move. Yeah, I, they really do not do a ton with Anna in the episodes leading up to this. Yeah. I, I forgot that she existed, and then all of a sudden here she was. <laughs> yeah, she she's here. She's the it. girl. Yeah, she's the girl. Yeah. My next note is Matt Bomber is so hot. I have that a couple times, but this he's he's looking quite good. I'm glad that Bryce is in this episode. What's the other show? Is he in the, that show Suits? I think he's in White Collar, which I think is different. I don't think they're that different. <laughs> I'm going to say he's in Suits. Okay, you can, whatever you want. He wears a suit. He, he wears a collar. The shirts, yeah, White Collar and Suits, they're not the same show. Maybe one's a spinoff. Which would be the sequel to which? Would White Collar come first or would Suits come first? I guess Suits would be the, like, the Avengers to <laughs> White Collar's Iron Man, sort of. Yeah, okay, that makes like, sense. Oh, you, you only thought that there was a White Collar guy. Wait until you see all the other guys. They're wearing <laughs> other collars and wearing other suits. All right, you heard it here first, everyone. Matt Bomber, Star of Suits. So apparently the um, the guy at the library desk isn't actually a spy and Chuck isn't actually in mortal danger, but he is in danger of having to pay a $294.68 late fee fine. That's not quite how much I had to pay, but it is close. Um, but actually then the Icelander shows up, so Chuck has to run away through the crowd of tailgaters, which is pretty much a nightmare. Then we head back to the Buy More. Morgan and Lester are breaking into Harry's locker with the keys that they got. Morgan picks up the remote, which is what he was looking for, and then Harry shows up behind him and says, looking for something, which I didn't really quite understand because he's clearly found what he's looking for. It's not like uh, Harry is holding the remote or anything like that. So that was a weird question on Harry's part. But um, I guess the point of the scene is that Lester has betrayed everyone because he gets a yellow monogram shirt, which says his name on it. Morgan says something to Harry about how Harry doesn't have the authority to fire him. And Harry says, no, but I'll make you wish I did. And then he's going to send something, he's going to send Morgan to something called the hole. The hole in this situation is referring to uh, what appears to be the service desk where customers are making returns. And I can confirm that this would absolutely be the worst way to punish someone. I never had to do that. Uh, returns are bad. I remember like when, when I met you, I remember you talking about like how much you hated doing returns. That was one of our first conversations. So really? it must be bad. Yeah, it's... I don't know, it's kind of, I was thinking about it after this episode, and when people think that, when they, so they obviously have an issue if they're coming to the service desk. If they think that you can solve it and you do solve it, they're moderately happy. Mm -hmm. If they not think you can solve it, but you do solve it, they're very happy. Mm -hmm. And then if they think you can solve it, but you do not solve it, then they are irate. Yeah. I, uh, I think I'm a pretty cool, I was a pretty cool return desk guy. In my various establishments, a lot of people would be sticklers. 
especially in January, I've, I saw some ice cold return desk stylings where I commented, I was like, wow, that was ice cold. And they're like, whatever. I mean, people, people get calloused doing the, the service desk. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Guess not. You can't put up with a lot of bull crap. I mean, you do put up with a lot of bull crap, like uh, people returning pairs of shoes that they've definitely worn and are smelly. I almost, I had a, I was supposed to put this return box of shoes back into the sales floor and they smelled so bad that I almost threw up. Wow. That's, that's pretty bad. Pretty bad. So that's what Morgan has to deal with when he's at the hole. Meanwhile, um, Chuck, I don't know why he does this at all, but he demands that everyone um, gather in Fleming's lecture hall and look at the disc that he stole. They're, they're under attack. Like the, the Icelander is like coming after them. So I, there's no discernible reason why they have to do this now. But they open up the disc and they see a bunch of names and profiles of students. They realize that Fleming was recruiting for the CIA. Chuck sees that Bryce was recruited their junior year. So that um, clears some things up for him. And then he also sees his own name on, on the list of recruits. But before he really gets a chance to figure out what that means, a shootout starts occurring in the lecture hall. Chuck runs and escapes into a computer room where he decides that instead of escaping, the best thing that he can do is um, pull up to a desk and find all the phone numbers of the recent CIA recruits which is actually a pretty good idea once he starts um, calling people up and saying, are you coming to the toga party and saying they need help? Um, so I really like the sequence. And there's, there's like, he calls like a girl who's studying. He calls like a, the, the hippie guy who was wanting people to plant trees. And apparently they're all CIA recruits. So they come running. They're all going to the toga party. They're all going to the toga party. Tons of, tons of students or tons of CIA agents at Stanford. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like one of the big schools. I think they're like a, I don't know that they're Ivy League, but they're like West Coast Ivy League. Yeah. When I was looking for, looking at colleges back in the day, I uh, definitely checked out their website. I was like, oh, I can't go here. And then that was the extent. They do have a creative writing program. Um, I think they, after my PSATs, they sent me like a recruitment package or whatever. And I was like, I I mean, like, you know, you get mail from colleges. You don't get mail from Stanford. I I definitely got mail from Stanford. And you didn't go to Stanford? You could have gone to Stanford? I mean, I didn't get into Stanford. I just got mail from them. It's a different. You applied to Stanford? No, oh. I didn't want to go to California, which is funny because, you know. Right, because yeah, you're in California yeah. now, right. If you went to California, then we wouldn't be sitting here talking. And then... Yeah, that's true. It all, uh, and I would, I would have never seen Chuck because all the reasons I saw Chuck were at Emerson. So if I had, well, I mean, if I had gone to Stanford, maybe it would have been like a big deal. They would have been like, you know who's from here, Chuck. Maybe I would have seen it eventually. Or I would have lived it. I would be in the CIA right now. Yeah, instead you're doing this. <laughs> So there's like a shootout. It seems like Casey and Sarah are going to have to make a last stand together, but then the cavalry arrives. It's all the uh, students that Chuck has called. And there's a cute moment where one of the girls turns to one of the guys and says, hey, aren't you an econ with me? Which I thought was really, really sweet until I started to realize that Chuck just blew all of these people's covers for each other. (laughs) Massive breach. Yep, massive breach. So everybody knows who everybody is. Um, That's probably bad in some way, but... It, it Chuck does, does kind of save the day. So that's great. They're out of that situation. Morgan has called Chuck to um, get the code to Harry's remote, which I don't know why Chuck had, but that's fine. Harry is looking at the TVs and one of the t- TVs switches to roller derby, which is not something I realized they show on TV. Harry knows that Morgan did it. So he goes to the customer service desk to confront him. 
Morgan is the only one who knows the new remote code, so he threatens to put on like a, a erotic show that I think was on, it's like Passion Cove or something, and I think that was on Showtime, so I don't know why, I don't know why the Buy More TVs have like premium channels, but whatever. Um, Harry relents and gives Morgan the remote. That was a pretty good plot for him. That was, that was fine. No sexism no. or like weird sexual misconduct going on for Morgan. So that's always a plus. Thanks, Morgan. Um, Meanwhile, Chuck, Ellie, and Devin return home. Devin has apparently painted UCLA colors permanently on his face. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's why Ellie wears so much makeup. Maybe she's like wearing it out of sympathy for all the times that Devin has paint on his face permanently. Or maybe it's just stuck on her face. Maybe she- That's true. And you can get makeup tattooed. You can? Yeah. You can get like eyeliner tattooed. You can get- Probably lipstick, but I don't know about that. These seem like horrible ideas. Yes, but people do it. And the football game was not disrupted at all by the sound of gunfire in one of the main lecture halls. Nope. Just another day in an American school. Did it make you wish that Emerson had football? Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) This kind of ends with Chuck thanks Ellie for making him go to Stanford. He says he's feeling a little bit better about everything. He goes into his room and he still has the disc, which I don't know why no one took it from him beforehand like he's just had it this whole time but Sarah shows up and says you didn't think we'd let you keep that did you which good question because why did they let him keep it this long Sarah allows Chuck to watch his own recruitment video so he watches the video it starts with Fleming referring to Chuck as a test subject and saying he's about to interview him then Bryce shows up and says he can't let Chuck be recruited into the CIA Fleming says it's not up to either of them, and the CIA wants all students with the highest scores. He says Chuck's keywords correlated to 98% of the similar images used on the psychology and symbolism, whatever. Bryce says that Chuck is a good person and wouldn't survive spy work, and Fleming says he's in no matter what. So we see Bryce kind of delivery, and then he's like, well, what if he cheated? So that's a big twist, and Bryce just lied to protect Chuck. Bryce is a good guy. Thank God. A couple things about this. So the video starts with the professor who's a secret CIA agent who's undercover, uh, basically shouting into the video camera in his office. All right, this is the next uh, tech subject. Uh, Chuck Bartowski is going to walk in the door. Uh, This is the secret CIA video. And then without a beat, like the person opens the door and you think it's Chuck who definitely would have heard the professor talking to the video <laughs> and just walks in. And fortunately, it's Bryce, so it's not yeah. Chuck. And Bryce is like, oh, whatever, I'm used to this. That's the first thing. Yeah. The professor's like, I don't care. Chuck is going to be in the CIA no matter what. It's a done deal. Yeah. And then Bryce is like, well, what if I lied and said that he stole the test? And then all of a sudden, Mr. CIA professor turns into normal professor is like, well, cheating's wrong. We couldn't have that at all. Well, do you think he knows? Like, do you think he's saying, like, if you lie, then we can protect Chuck? Or do you think he just thinks that Chuck straight up actually cheated? Oh, I didn't I didn't perceive it to be like, uh, oh, you think we can fool the, the higher-ups if we say that Chuck cheated? Yeah. That I just assumed that he was just immediately buying what Bryce was telling him about, what if I said that Chuck stole the test? Yeah. And he was like, what? How do you steal my test? <laughs> Well, I would, I, to, to his credit, I would believe anything Matt Bomber told me. If he looked into my eyes and said something, I'd be like, yeah, that's true. My question about this is clearly the interview that the professor had planned was derailed. So A, why did he save this video? And B, 
<laughs> Why is it still labeled Chuck Bartowski? Because <laughs> you know, sometimes you just gotta go with the flow. He probably was uploading it to his computer and he's like, ah, this didn't really pan out the way I wanted it to. But you know what? I'll just hold on to it just in case. Yep. I guess I guess that's what happened. So the the theory between Chuck and Sarah, or at least as Chuck says, is that maybe if Bryce had a reason for framing Chuck, maybe he had a reason for breaking into the intersect. Sarah says no one can know about this, and then she takes the desk. The disc. Um, she goes out into the hall and she cries a little bit. And I thought this was a good moment for her. <laughs> I think she really like she misses Bryce, and she she hopes that he isn't actually bad and didn't actually go rogue. That's nice. So apparently, um, maybe out of protest for the fact that Chuck didn't recycle anything, but although it's been a few days, nothing has been added to the trash and. <laughs> has not been taken away. So Chuck goes back out and he get he takes out a picture of him and Bryce and like two other random guys. Um, I thought it would have been nice if they had like Jill in this photo, but maybe she wasn't cast yet. I don't really know why she's not there because apparently she was like a big part of their lives. But as he is looking at this picture, Chuck has a flashback to the day that him and Bryce met. Chuck is sitting in the quad and he's, so he has a highlighter in his mouth that he's kind of like chewing on. But since the flashbacks are kind of sepia-toned, I thought he was vaping. And I was like, Chuck is a, a big trendsetter because this is 1999 and he is vaping. Um, the other thing I noticed about this is he is sitting with his book facing outward in the most obnoxious way possible. No one sits like that. Like his book is just the cover is facing anyone who's walking by, like begging them to say like, comment on this book. <laughs> no one does that. But that's how Chuck and Bryce meet. Bryce makes some small talk about the, the, the book is about C++. And Chuck says that he's building his own version of the game Zork. Bryce is into that. And he says, it's 1999. The next millennium belongs to the geek. And then he talks to Chuck about a girl on its floor named Jill and how they're going to introduce him. And that's like, it's pretty weird to be someone's wingman like right away. But I guess Bryce is just a nice guy like that. Just a nice guy. Do you think that this millennium has belonged to the geek so far? Yeah, I would say so. I was thinking it belonged to the underdog queen of the nerds. Oh, wow. I was waiting for that to get dropped. Yep. That's me. That's my nickname, guys. Yeah, I can't believe I referenced that at all. It's a failing on my part. Yep, that's okay. So that's that's how the episode ends. That's how the episode ends. Bryce and Chuck walking off into the sunset together in the past. Yep. Chuck has, has had a corrective emotional experience with his negative feelings about Bryce and Stanford. Yeah. And he didn't even have to take a psychology and symbolism course to do it. Well, I guess he did. He, yeah, he took that course already. So I guess he didn't need to. How stupid do you have to be to fail out of psychology and symbolism? <laughs> so it seems like a hard course. There's nothing to it. <laughs> it's not a real subject. None of it was real. Okay. I got to take a breather. Uh, we're going to be right back with some more Go Chuck Yourself. Chuck yourself. We're almost finished here. There's just a few more things that we have to get wrapped up. One of those things is a segment that we here know and love and uh, refer to as interesting information with Erin Arata, also known as the underdog queen of the nerds. Thank you. Thank you for using my title. Yeah. So I'm still riding the coat 
Tales of last week's uh, very special, interesting information segment that Chris said was my best yet. And that was a lot of pressure. So this week, um, I'm going to do a few rapid fire facts. The first one is that in the list of um, CIA recruits that Chuck finds on Fleming's uh, disc is at least one of the show's producers whose name I recognized. I could not see for sure if everybody else um, is a crew member of the show, Chuck, but I'm willing to bet that they were. And all the scenes that were taking place at Stanford were filmed at UCLA. Who knew? The other team that they were playing the football game at. I know. That's pretty suspicious. They did a switcheroo. But now um, I know that this section is typically referred to as interesting information with Aaron, but in fact, Chris had some very interesting information that he shared with me, and I think that it would be nice if he shared it with you. So take it away, Chris. Oh, wow. I am honored. So in this particular episode, as I was referencing throughout the recap, uh, there seemed to be some heavy-handed references to um, kind of like going green, environmentalism, sort of things like that. Um, Harry Tang talking about the new recycling bin. Uh, Harry Tang talking about how customers are really, you know, going green. That's the new thing. Um, the guy at Stanford who asked Casey to plant a tree, the giant nature conservatory banner in the background. So a lot of this got me thinking. I was like, that seems really odd that they, all of those things are happening in this one particular episode. It had reminded me in my knowledge of Chuck and my recollection that occasionally NBC Universal would do green weeks and uh, where the shows would have allusions to these kinds of, uh, of things of environmentalism. And I didn't really, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if that's what this was because I thought that probably would have been aligned with Earth Day. And I knew this episode came out uh, in late October, early November. And I'd asked Erin about this. And uh, she did not pick up on the pattern that I had seen because she did not take a course <laughs> in psychology and symbolism like I did. Uh, but I was able, after a quick internet search, I was able to find that, yes, this episode took place during NBC's uh, 2007 uh, Green is Universal week, where they had more than 150 hours of green-themed content across all of the NBC Universal platforms. Wow. In a sense, Aaron, I flashed on this episode. I think that's what I did. Yes, I would agree with that. Yes. You are on another level of your Chuck knowledge. I'll take it. And thus concludes interesting information with Aaron Rada and Chris Gillespie this particular week. Uh, now we're going to move into a segment that has always featured both of us and always will feature both of us. Or maybe it Hopefully. won't feature both of us. Who knows? Uh, it's called Chuck, Mary Kill. And it's when we identify something in this episode that we liked, that we want to marry, that we'd like to wed in front of a, a group of our peers. And another element of this episode where uh, we would like to uh, eliminate it from existence. Uh, Aaron, who would you like to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. I will um, steal your caveat that you usually make at the beginning of this and say that I would marry Matt Bomber if I could, which I can't because A, he's already married, B, he would not be interested in me. That's fine. Um, but since I have to pick something from this episode, I am going to pick a lovely little scene that we didn't talk about because I was saving it where Casey comes up to the nerd herd and Chuck asks, you didn't offer to kill Harry for Anna, did you? And Casey says, no, why? Do you want me to kill him? <laughs> And I loved it. 
I love Casey's humor. It's great. And I need to see more of it. That was, I like that line as well. It made me laugh. What about you? Uh, my Mary this week was also something that made me laugh that uh, we did not really touch upon, no pun intended, but in the, the uh, interaction between Harry and Morgan, when Harry refers to Morgan as being soft like pudding, he mm-hmm. accentuates this by poking Morgan's belly button very softly and then <laughs> his fingertip after he pokes Morgan's belly. And I thought that was so disturbing and weird and next level. And I was like, what, what, who came up with this choice of calling, A, calling Morgan pudding and then poking his belly and then licking it? I was like, that's insane. That's, I guess, brilliant. So that, yep. was, that stood out to me. That was my favorite part. Another little humorous section. What would you kill? What would I kill? I think you should go first. I thought, um, as I mentioned before, I thought it was a little ridiculous that Chuck would demand that they pull up a chair and look at Fleming's disc right away when mm-hmm. they are uh, under attack. One might say that this plot point felt a little soft, like pudding. Oh, there it is. There it is. Starting it out. What would you kill, Chris? I, uh, <laughs> what I identified as being soft like pudding this week, I, uh, I thought it was the writing of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty large scale thing to say, but I thought this episode was really lackluster with the, the dialogue and also, I guess, the story arc. Um, I, I understood the like going back into the past and stuff. I was okay with that, but the dialogue just really stood out to me as a lot of it was very forced and a lot of plot driven stuff that didn't really seem organic. A lot of the things that the characters were saying also stood out to me as not seeming like they're in the similar voice of their voices in previous episodes. It kind of felt like this episode was written by someone who had not seen the other episodes of Chuck and was like, who are the characters? Okay, that's what they're like. All right, I got it. I got it. It's like a frat guy and then... uh, Chuck's sister and then these spies like it didn't really do a whole lot for me and I was really pretty disappointed in it I guess. So that that leads us right into do you think that this episode holds up? I am excited to say because I've not yet said this on the episode but I do not think this episode holds up. Uh, I was not into it for the duration of the episode. Um, I thought the writing was was pretty weak and I thought the acting at times was also not great but I think the acting suffered because of the writing. Mm. As I've expressed, I think the stuff about the professor teaching a course and basically the intersect and Chuck doing a good job in that course was kind of ridiculous. I don't hate the whole thing about the school recruiting agents for the CIA, but I, I think it's kind of forced. And I do like the twist of Bryce not being a bad guy and being having good motivations. That's like the only thing I liked about the episode. But other than that, I thought it was the weakest episode that we have watched thus far. I am going to slightly agree, slightly disagree. Okay. Um, My response, which is not as, I guess, an indication of how I felt about the episode is that I did not give reasons for this. Normally I write a, um, a lengthy response and this time I say, does it hold up? Yeah, sure. So still being a little overly optimistic, what I liked about this episode is not necessarily what happened in the episode, but just what it is setting up. Like you said, I really liked the stuff that Bryce, um, Bryce isn't bad. So when he inevitably shows up again, I think um, we've got some interesting setup to what his, what his character could be or what role his memory at least would play in the show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it had some interesting implications for how Chuck and also Sarah are feeling about their situation and the intersect in general. Um, so I liked all of that. I thought the specific choices of flashbacks maybe could have been a little bit better. Um, and I thought a lot of the, um, I guess a lot of the drivers into the situations that I found interesting were pretty weak. I thought it was weird that the professor would keep this video of this aborted interview attempt. I thought it was weird that, I don't know, just the choices of which moments in Chuck's school career that we saw. But I like the implications of it. So I would probably, I mean, if the question is, would I keep watching? I would probably want to know what happens. So yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep watching wise, I, I would I would keep watching. I think it seems like this episode, I wonder if it was like they knew where the season was beginning and they know where they wanted the season to end and they kind of needed this is episode seven, so it's kind of like the halfway point, a little a little mm-hmm. later than halfway, but it's kind of the fulcrum in that mm-hmm. I felt like they probably a lot of the episodes earlier in the season were those kinds of one-offs that we've talked about where the, they don't really have implications for the larger story arc, but they're kind of fun to watch in an episodic way. So I think that because they did not spread that out across those episodes, like this episode was basically like trying to catch back up to speed and get to a point where the season, like to cover everything that they want to at the end of the season. This is purely speculation on my point but I'm just wondering, I could see that happening from a creative standpoint about being like, oh shoot, we really got to tie up some stuff or we got to start getting some gears moving and they kind of sacrificed um, some of the the slick writing or things like that to get to that point because it was very forward looking. Fair enough. Cool. Well, I would say this is, we said at the beginning of the episode that this would be an electrifying episode. I, I've surely been electrified. How's LA? Was good at the beginning of the episode, still good now? It's, uh, it was sunny at the beginning of the episode. It is now dark. Ah, okay. We have rested. We have put the sun to bed for the night. Good night, sun. Good night, LA. Good night, Aaron. Good night, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate that. For Go Check Yourself, I've been Chris Gillespie. As always, reminding you and your loved ones that food is sexy. And I've been Aaron Arada, reminding you that... Anything is possible. Anything, even like teaching a college course on a subject that doesn't exist or make any sense at all. Even running into Matt Bomber on the streets of LA. Star of Suits, check it out. <laughs> Go suit yourself. Oh, that makes too much sense. That makes too much sense. No, that's not what I want. Uh, all right, we'll see you next week. Take care. Org and the artist Hadakoa for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. Make sure to email us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at gochuckpodcast. Remember to like and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and write a review if that's something you need to do. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.